welcome to the Cheshire Police Federation podcast in association with number one Copperpot Credit Union. Hello again and welcome to the Cheshire Police Federation podcast where each month we talk about what's on the minds of police officers in this part of the world and explain why that matters to you. This time our attention is going to be focused on trust. To what extent does the public have faith in policing? Why does it matter if they don't? And what is the impact on our communities if people feel they can't rely on the police service? Joining me to answer those questions and also to share with us how officers themselves feel about this changing relationship with those they're tasked with keeping safe is a mixture of voices, both new and familiar. Steve Hartson is chair of the Police Federation of England and Wales, while Tiff Lynch is his deputy on the national board. Also with us is Jamie Thompson, the Cheshire Branch Chair. Welcome to all of you. Good morning. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Now, just to set the scene, uh, Jamie wanted us to discuss this topic after reading a blog post written by Tiff and published last month on the Federation's website, and you can also be able to read it on the Cheshire Branch website, that in part was a response to the findings of a recent study into the public's attitude towards policing. The report she referenced was prepared by More in Common, which for those that don't know, is a think tank that was founded following the death of Joe Cox MP in 2016 and carries out public opinion research on a range of challenges facing the UK. In January, it published Where Are the Police? Which takes a look at Britain's attitudes towards crime, antisocial behaviour and the police service. It used a combination of polls and focus groups to gather the evidence that it presented in the report. Now, this conversation is not intended to be an analysis of that piece of work, but we do plan to use some of its headline statistics as talking points. And that's where we'll, we'll start. Tiff, if you want to kick us off, do you want to just uh, share with us what, what struck you the most when you read the headline findings from the More In Common study? Yeah, thank you. What struck me the most is I wasn't surprised, uh, if, if I'm honest. And I don't think any of us should be surprised. Um these think tanks, these surveys, these studies are really, really important because it gives us a gauge yeah. of what's happening out there in the public mind. Um, but we also have to focus what's in the mind of the police officers that are out there. Um, so obviously I wrote in my blog that police officers want to be out there. They want to do the job that they joined, but they're fully aware that they can only be stretched so far. Sure. So we've got interdependencies here. Um the public sector from an emergency services level, we're on our knees and more and more is being asked of the police. And you can only do it with so many police officers that are actually out there on the ground. And when you stretch to a limit, mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. And sadly, when those mistakes happen, the media are all over it. You get the media spin and then you get the backlash. And some of it is valid. Some of it is valid, but to say that police officers aren't out there, um, they are very much out there, but they can only do so much with what 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 we've got. Okay, it's a really good point, and I'm going to and I'm going to come back to, to some of those when we um, when we progress. Uh, Steve, same question to you. When you kind of re- kind of read the headline summary and saw some of these numbers of you know almost half of respondents said they don't trust um, the police. What what did you make of that? Are you, are you similar to Tish? To Tiff, sorry, that you're not a surprise, or what, what was what was your thoughts? What was your reaction? 
Um, if I'm honest, probably the same as Tiff. It's not a surprise. Okay. But again, I think as we've talked about, sometimes it's how the questions are asked to get a specific mm-hmm. answer. Um, the, for me, people only call the police when something has gone wrong or they see something going wrong, either for them or for other people. So most people never have a, 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 what I would call a good interaction with police officers. By the very nature, what we get called to it is often confrontational. It's loaded with someone generally being in, investigated, arrested or being blamed for something. So some of it is probably a misunderstanding what we're there to do. But I get it. If you don't see a police officer for days, weeks, months and ends, you begin to think... What are they there for? Um, recently, I went from my, my home in Essex over Duffy Powers. I did not see a single marked police vehicle in that entire journey, and I was on the road for four to five hours. Right. Um, I, I know there are cops out there uh, because they parade early's late nights. So I know there's a, a plethora of de- dealing with calls, but you just don't see them. That in itself lacks, to me, that ability to see officers out there doing the job. You need boots on the ground. You need to see police officers out there reacting. Now, it may well be there's plainclothes cars out there on the motorways, but that's not preventing. That's right. catching. Um, if you can see a police officer, you have a chance to engage with them. You can talk to them. You take away so many police buildings across the country, that infrastructure, that inability to pop in and speak to your cop on the front desk, have a little chat. You know, I spent the first six months of my service as a front desk officer. It was a fascinating world. And lots of it were just people coming in to go, hi, how are you doing? What do you do? It's a great recruitment tool. You, you're not just there to sort out crime. You become... You're genuinely part of that community, and it's really nice that you see people, but it's not there. So, yeah, not surprising. Disappointing because none of us join the cops to be creating disillusionment. We're there to do some really good work, and we do. You know, to echo what, thankfully, even some of the the hardcore critics of policing are saying now, they recognise that the vast majority of our cops are out there doing a really hard job in almost the perfect storm. You know, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. Every single case I see in the media now, I'm thinking that might be a good story now, but give it a week, there'll be a another negative story about, and a cop was stood there, didn't do this, they had their hands in the pockets, they took an inappropriate picture of something. That might be the case, but it's disappointing because they're doing a really good job. Yeah, you, you've really neatly answered the next question I was going to ask, which was kind of how the numbers compare to your anecdotal experience. You've given us a couple of examples there of if you, you know, being in the car and, and, and what you see. So I'll put that question to, to Jamie. How do the numbers compare to kind of your anecdotal experience? Um, listen, we'll be told that there's 20,000 additional police officers hitting the streets. We know it's not 20,000 additional. Um, where are they all? Crime is changing. Crime types are changing. Our demand is changing. A lot of the things that we deal with now are not traditional um, policing matters. Um, you know, a lot more things around cybercrime, financial crime, things like that, which are very, very important to people. We haven't got the resources to have a cop stood on every street corner to, to have the preventative measures, as, as Steve pointed out. Um, who are we blaming in this report? Who, who are, we, are we pointing the finger at the police and saying, you're not doing well enough with the resources you got? Should we be diverting that blame to the government and point out that, Policing has been woefully underfunded for many years now, and this is what you, you get from underfunding something. You get this lack, lack of performance in the public eyes. Okay, I'm just going to drill down a little bit into some of the themes that you've put in that perfect intro to kind of lead me into some of the things I, I wanted to touch on in the rest of the of the first half. So kind of, um, you know, how did we get here? I mean, just to, to plug a couple of the numbers from the report, just to give the, the listeners some context. In February 2020, 63% of Britons said they trusted police officers. In November 2021, so around 18 months later, and this was shortly after the sentencing of 
Wayne Cousins for the murder of Sarah Everard, that figure had fallen to 53%. And the report also speculates that following the recent case of David Carrick, that figure might be even lower if you did um, the poll today. Only one in ten members of the public asked by Moore in Common claimed that they trust police, and I quote, a great deal, which was which was the measure that they used. Um, why do you think the numbers are falling? I mean, I, I used in the, in the intro to that there a couple of high-profile cases that have been in the news, but I, I'm sure it's much more complicated than than that. Broadly, why is this number falling? Tiff, do you want to kick us off? Well, I think you've answered it, um, okay. if I'm honest. It's these high-profile cases. Uh, we all have access to, to media, um, and that's all age generations, whether it be on the TV, radio, social media, you read a story, headline news, police officer, um, and I'm not going to go into naming those two individuals because they should never be named in my eyes as, as being um, warranted officers. Sadly, they were. Um, but you read those headlines and you think that all police officers must have that trait. All police officers must be like those two individuals. Um so it's not surprising that yeah. actually those figures have have decreased. Um, is it because cops aren't on the street? And we've just been speaking about that. Um, that will have a small portion part to play in that. Um, when you ring up when your house has been burgled, and burglary is a horrible, horrible crime. And sadly, you're told that we're really sorry, but we're not going to be sending a police officer to your burglary, mm-hmm. where your personal life has been invaded. The trust goes. Trust it. Trust. I mentioned this in a meeting this week that that both Steve and I were at. What is trust? Can you rely on a police officer coming to your burglary? No, you can't because of the demands that policing is currently under. Can you rely on a police officer trying to save someone's life if they're there and they're called? Absolutely, you can rely on it. So there's different different angles, different spectrums. But sadly, it's these headline news articles that are damaging policing. But it's not every single officer. And that's the key thing for me. Steve, what do you think is meant by uh, distrust in this context? When a member of the public has answered a question on this subject, do you think they've got individual officers in mind or they're answering about the police service as a whole? Because the report seems to confuse this throughout. So what, what do you think when people are answering the question? What's in their mind? I think it's a combination of both, if I'm okay. honest, because we're probably all guilty that when we watch the news or something on the television and you see something being really critical, the 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 interviewer generally gets a couple of people in and you get someone that's had the really harsh experiences yeah. of how they've been dealt with. Then other people see that as the generic, well, that's how everybody must be dealt with. Um, if I look at my own career of how I first dealt with the IPCC as was, which, you know, the IOPC, I was told they were a, a really bad, negative, overly sanctious, overly intrusive organisation um, based on other people's experiences. That sets your mindset. Okay. When I work with some of them, I actually have to say some of them were pretty good and and, and did do the right thing. So it's about it's, it's a, probably a combination of both, that some okay. people have some generally horrific experiences. I think the majority, though, because they're not always calling police for everything that happens, they're basing it on mainstream media comments the constant every time a police officer gets in trouble there's always a ride at the bottom based on and wayne cousins did this david carrot did that and others it's that constant drip feed 
fair play to criticise what's happened, but sometimes it's not proportionate to what's actually taken place for that particular story. Okay. So I think it, I think it's both. Um, do we need to get better in how we deal with the public? Yes, we do. If I'm honest, absolutely. Um, bizarrely, looking at the sort of the more in common report, it provides solutions and some of the answers that we need, and some of them you think we've actually been asking for in terms of better vetting for police officers looking at new incentives um, to help retain, keep police officers on duty. We need experienced cops to help the newer cops to come into policing. Um, we want faster misconduct decisions. We've had a, a hashtag time limits campaign mm. going for two to three years at least, so we can speed up the misconduct process. We've got our own DG6 campaign about Director General's guidance on redactions. We want to be able to put more data in front of the CPS in a quicker way, so we don't have to redact it. That takes thousands and thousands of police officers every single year. We're looking for wins, as this report is, so some yeah. of it is actually quite good, you know, okay. looking at a reduction in police bureaucracy. Absolutely, let's get rid of the red tape, let's get cops out of there, speaking with the public, that in itself will raise the confidence. Definitely, we'll, we'll come back to some of those in, in part two, because you're right, it does, it does make some, some good proposals. Um, Jamie, on a practical level, if we take the numbers at face value and the public is saying that the level of mistrust is at the level it's reached at the moment, how does that make a police officer's job harder? I think it, it sets a negative tone whenever there's an interaction. You know, community policing is is pretty much dead in the water um, because of the demands I talked about before, and, and you know, Steve's touched on that as well. Um, so the interactions that we have with the public are generally at a time of crisis where we will take one side over another by arresting an offender or you know dealing with an incident in a way somebody doesn't like. Okay. But if that interaction starts off on a negative, it's it's going to create more negatives because we're not out there doing the, the nice things that police officers should be doing anymore because we simply haven't got the time because of other demands. Um, so cops are turning up to, to, to incidents and they're already on the back foot because the public are reading things in the media, they're making immediate assumptions about those individuals that we must all be the same as all these horrible people that they're reading about okay. in the Daily Mail, etc. Um, and it, it, just, it makes it generally harder to turn that negative into a positive when sometimes the public immediately want to be negative about us. Um, I just want to finish this uh, first part by just touching on what the impact of some of this stuff is on the rank and file members. This is a uh, Police Federation podcast, so we should touch on kind of how it impacts on on them. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't think officers are sat around waiting to read studies like this coming out, but they may see similar things uh, on the internet or social media or, or when they watch the news themselves. So, Again, if I'm a, a rank and file member and I read some of these statistics, how is that making me feel, Tiff? You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, um, really and truly. Um, you can go out there and, and perform the best that you've ever performed and sadly someone is always going to be there to, to criticise um, what you've done, how you've done it. And we're human at the end of the day, and you can only take so much of a battering. And when you batter one person, you batter us all. Um, you you will have heard, and, and people will know. We call it the police family. Yeah. Um. And when it's when it's valid criticism, when it's valid attack, do you know what? We take it. It hurts, and police officers want to to improve and do better. But when it's coming left field, and actually it's it's literally, um, it, it, it's one of those where it's a sweeping judgment. Yeah. You can only take those knocks for so long. 
before you think, you know what, this isn't for me. Um, paying conditions, um, promotion aspect, uh, aspirations. There are so many interdependencies yes. that are knocking these these police officers down at the moment. Am I surprised, a bit like the first question that you asked <laughs> earlier, am I surprised that police officers are leaving hand over fist? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And this is something that government and our chief constables need to wake up to if they want the service that they're all crying out for. Sure. And that links neatly to, we, we did an episode earlier this year about the pay and morale service, so I'm not going to kind of rehash um, the findings of that. But Tiff raises a good point there that, Police officers feel very strongly about their capacity to deliver the service that they want to do. It's not just people from the outside criticism for falling short. They want to do the best possible job. And there are questions in the pay and morale survey about that where officers have said that in certain instances, they because it's not enough for them, their workload's too high and this is causing issues with, um, with stress. And that contributes to this overall kind of nuanced picture of of morale. Um, so Steve, just, just a question on that. It, again, how do rank and file members feel themselves about not being able to offer the service that they want to? It's going to impact them as well. Not just the public criticising from the outside. They feel passionately about this, don't they? It's very disheartening because if you look at it from both sides, take the immediate response on the uniform side first. They want to turn up, do the best job they can, resolve incidents safely to the satisfaction of everybody. But they can't because sometimes they don't have the sufficient numbers or resources to do it. They might need the relevant kit and equipment to, say, take a data download from a digital device to get that vital evidence they need. So that job's particularly difficult now. Technology should be there to enable police to do the job properly, but sadly isn't because it costs money. And with technology advancing at the rapid pace that it does, because of the lack of proper upfront funding to enable us to keep match with it, we fall behind. And of course, once we then take all this amazing evidence that we have in the digital world, we need to store it. That costs money. We need teams to process it. So that's the initial uniform side. Then take the detective side and sort of the, the post-event investigation, what's going forward. They're struggling because of caseload, right. massive high fatigue. Cases are becoming increasingly complex now because the way they dealt with at court, you know, rightly so, things are taken to court on a challenge robustly because obviously there's two sides to every story. But my detective colleagues feel it acutely when they don't have the time and resources to build the case file properly. They have so much workload, they might be days or weeks behind in contacting victims or witnesses. That creates disillusionment. We know that then once you lose that initial engagement from a victim or a witness, they think, what's the point? It's going nowhere. They walk away. So cases are perhaps unnecessarily being delayed or NFA'd because we can't do the upfront work we need to at the time. And again, this all comes back to numbers. And yes, policing needs to be efficient, but I think we are. I think all the, the cuts that have been needed have been cut. We are at the bone. We are at the risk of amputating a large part of the service now. And every cop I speak to wants to do the right thing they can, deliver a really good service. But they can't because of time constraints, lack of resources. And there's only so many hours in a day before you get fatigued. And you can be on a 12-hour shift but then there's only so many 12-hour shifts you can do before you need to have a break. It's called compassion fatigue or work fatigue. That has a, a sort of a catch-22 spiraling effect on it. If you can't break the pattern to do a good job, it becomes routine. And then wrongly, and sadly to say, it becomes the norm that you can't deliver that 100% service you want to. So it, it needs time and effort to put it back into it. So they do want to do the best job they can. If you speak to them, they're probably also the same, that I wish we could do more, yeah. but it's time, effort and money. 
The Cheshire Police Federation's monthly podcast is sponsored by Number One Copper Pot Credit Union, a not-for-profit organisation that offers financial services exclusively to the police family. It's free to join and provides access to savings, loans and mortgages, all directly from your payroll, making it easier to manage your money. Lots of members use Number One Copper Pot to save for events such as Christmas or holidays or simply to build a rainy day savings fund. To find out more or to apply to join, visit numberonecopperpot.com. Now, it's become customary on the Cheshire Police Federation podcast to strike a more optimistic or constructive, at least, tone in the second part of our episodes. And this one is no different in that respect. So I'm curious to discover what our guests think needs to happen for the public's confidence in policing to be restored or at the very least boosted from the current position that we discussed in part one. Now, Steve, you've written a piece this week that shares some of your thoughts on this issue of how to uh, regain trust. So do you want to start us off and share uh, what what you'd like readers to take away from from the piece that you've done? I think for me, it's about understanding that as police officers, we join the job because it's vocational. We want to do the best we can for our victims, as I've kind of already mentioned. We're there to create confidence, to make people feel safe. Um, certainly as a, as a federation and the national chair, my job at the moment is to try and convince government of the value of police officers and the federation to make sure we get the best deal that we can. I think if you can recruit and retain the very, very best people, you will start to see a change in the way that case cases are dealt with and managed you'll see better interaction with the public because if you have a happy workforce you have a better outcome mm-hmm. um and I, i've probably mentioned before in, in similar interviews that i'm a great fan of watching undercover boss and so when you go back to the front line listen to what officers need and you can hear that you get a better product and that's what we try and do with the government in all our submissions and again sometimes we get criticized for having meetings with government who do we write letters what do we do we are always trying to chip away and say here is the value of your police officers Don't forget they're doing a really difficult job, but you need to fund them correctly. Give them the right tools. They speak to the public in a better way, and it sets the tone. The ministers are incredibly privileged that some of them have a great protection team with them, but they're cops. Now, some would argue, do they need to be there? Could that be a military function? But at the moment, it's police officers. But I do know that some of the ministers speak to their protection detail. They get a really good account of how things can be fixed. How can they sit there and ignore the fact that all these surveys that are coming out now, you know, stuff that we've done, the pay morale survey, the Met Friendly survey, the small and common survey, they all say broadly the same thing. Increase the funding, give it longevity. That in itself will restore confidence to the officers who will deliver a better product. We need training days and it needs understanding. And a plea to the government, the Home Secretary, with the Chancellor, the Prime Minister and anybody that's got any influence, unlock the coffers give a pay rise, give suitable long-term funding, and you will get a better product. You can't police on the cheap. It doesn't work. We said cuts would have consequences. They have, but the government needs to wake up and start listening. Um, Tiff, what part can or does the Federation itself need to play in uh, in addressing this issue of, of an erosion of, of trust? And Steve's kind of touched on there. There are other actors that need to, to contribute, but specifically the Federation, what can it do? Um, There's a lot that we've had to recognise of how we are seen, um, not just by the membership, but outside stakeholders. uh, As a defensive organisation, that we're always going to be there to defend uh, the guilty um, and, and stand on the back foot. Work is currently in play at the moment to actually change that. Um, We need to listen to our victims because we also have victims and complainants who 
are police officers. Sure. So we need to be seen to be supporting those police officers because this isn't just about the public. It's about internal um, uh, organisational structure. So we need to be we need to be there to support them so that we can actually at the end of it, find solutions yeah. as well and offer solutions. The one thing that the Federation is very, very good at, but actually gets a lot of criticism for, is what 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 does the Federation do for me? When you look at a lot of the um, regulations, um, for certainly from a welfare aspect, an equality aspect, conduct and performance also, a lot of that background work is done by uh, Police Federation representatives. So we need to get better with our support for victims and complainants so that we're not seen as a defensive organisation. Um, and we need to actually get out there and tell people how it is and be open and transparent. I'm not saying that we haven't in the past, but we've sat on the sidelines. Okay. Jamie, same question to you. What part does the Federation have to play at a, a local level in terms of addressing these issues of trust? Um, I, I agree with Tiff that you you can't be defensive about things. You know, we're here to look after our members, but that takes many different forms. Okay, just to, to move on slightly, um, respondents to the Maureen Common poll after earlier in the survey saying they didn't trust the police said they'd actually like to see more of them on the pre on the on the street. So they said visible policing was a high priority with almost eight in ten saying they think we need more. Um, they also said that would make them feel safer and would improve their local area even without just increasing numbers and, and steve touched on this earlier reducing bureaucracy would allow existing officers to spend a little bit more time um being visible and being out in the in the community so just a, qu- a question on on this topic of numbers that comes up a lot when the public uh, public are asked you know we want to li- literally see more police officers um that's obviously part of the answer here and we've discussed this already but how much of an impact would that have so and i put in in kind of our preparatory notes for this if i doubled the uplift tomorrow what would kind of be the impact that we'd see i'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of is it just numbers alone or there's other things that we need to, to see but uh, james do you want to start and then i'll bring uh, i don't think it is numbers all right okay. i think i think there's a lot more to it than that um it's a, it's about the type of interactions we're having and and how we're setting up our police you know there are police officers that we could use as community officers to do those things that we used to do, where we would be at the local fair if those, if those still exist anymore. Sure. You know, local school engagement. But we don't do it because the demand's elsewhere. I worry that if you threw more numbers of police in, you'd simply just, that that would get put onto other demands. Uh, and we'd come up with other other ways of using those police officers to... Um, so it isn't just a numbers game, it's about how we use the numbers that we've got. And, and ultimately, that's what we need to do better. We need to look at what we've got. What can we do that is within policing? What do we currently do that's not within policing? And, and other agencies need to take the lead back on that. Um, and actually, if we did that a little bit more... And I know some chief constables are pushing back a little bit, but I think you'd find that there's, there's cops there, and we can start using them for the right things. Um, Steve, do you, want, do you want to come on on that? I mean, it, the public always give the same answer. We want to see more police officers. We want to see more police officers. Obviously, it does come back to something you were saying earlier about some work needing to be done on an understanding of what the police service does is, and, and the kind of complexities of it. That's not intended to sound a criticism of the public, by the way, but there's obviously a disconnect there. If they're constantly telling us, we just want to see more, we want to see more. Um, 
where, where do you stand on this? Obviously, it's part of the solution, isn't it? For, you know, funding to, to for be able to, to hire more police officers. But kind of where does it fit in the in the bigger picture? I think it's a combination of both. It's about, um, to touch what Jamie said, <clears throat> it's, uh, we, we know that certain types of crime we get called to deal with <clears throat> perhaps aren't crime. Um, people, I think people should have the right to phone up to make a complaint to police about whatever it is because they don't know the law as we do it. But we get an awful lot of calls to do with mental health. That yeah. then falls out into social work. It then falls out into us having to perhaps spend a disproportionate amount of time sat in hospital with people when that's not our role. Police officers are there to me to protect and keep the public safe, primarily in crime-related. If it's not crime, then other agencies need to step up, do their job properly. And, it, and it, you know, it, it can be said anecdotally that Friday night at five o'clock, other agencies turn the phone off, we pick it up. We do. I just wish we had some time and motions to show what happens. The constant recidivist mispers that go missing on a daily, weekly basis for hours, we know they're going to turn up, but we've almost had the... The reactions that we have to do with everything now, just in case one of them doesn't and it ends up being a horrific case, which is the right thing to do to tackle that way. But it, it is a bit of a numbers game. Um, we need to be smarter on how we deploy some of our colleagues, I think. But if you look at the population increase over the last 10 years, has increased by 4 million people. Who has done that national strategic threat and risk on the numbers of police officers in this country that we absolutely need? We can guarantee that if there's a big riot, take the recent events in Leicester where you know you had riots on the streets. There was mutual aid call from all over the country. Forces should be able to deal with that internally without calling others because it then might happen in their force area. We just don't have the numbers that have been cut to the bones. It's about getting smarter. Okay. And my colleagues know that. Um, but it, again, it's convincing others of the need to do their job whilst we can focus on ours. Okay. And uh, Tiff, you touched on this in your piece and you've also in an earlier answer touched on this as well. Um, it's all well and good if you're successful in recruiting the numbers that, that people want to see. Um, you need to keep them as well, don't you? Big time. Uh, we spend so much money per officer, uh, thousands of pounds per officer, in getting them through the recruitment, uniform, training, um, wages, um, and, and wages pay is a whole different story, but it actually does relate to this, um, for morale to go through the floor or for them to get better offers elsewhere with less risk, uh, and they're gone. Um, it, in, in the day when I joined and, and 1995 I remember it well it was a 30 year career mm-hmm. it's not seen as a 30 40 year career anymore um, I, I find it really really sad but it's down to investment or a lack of investment and when you've got a lack of investment people these days aren't going to stick around and why would they and why should they mm. so it, 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 that's the important thing for me. We can't be losing our experience through the other end of, of that sausage factory. That I've heard it being mentioned before. We put them in, let's keep them there. Okay. Um, to start to draw this to, to a conclusion, I'm going to ask each one of you um, what you'd like the highest priority to be when it comes to tackling the issue of falling trust in the police. Wow. What would be top of the list if you were making one, uh, Jamie? Oh, you come to me first. Well, you don't have to. I think you've got to get the infrastructure right um, with, yes. with funding, with um, supporting police officers, and that, and that support comes from the government, our senior leaders, our federation, and supporting each other as, as, as cops as well. You put the infrastructure in place and make us all proud to be police officers again, and I think we'll, we'll portray that to the public and perhaps then they can start to trust us again. 
Same question to, to you, Steve, and your piece of homework. Ever gave you a piece of paper? What, what are you writing at the top for the priority to address this issue? Yeah, it's probably multifaceted, and I don't think there's an easy answer. For me, it's about reinstilling confidence in colleagues to know that they are doing the right thing on a daily basis out there, supporting, protecting the public. They need reassurances that they will be looked after by the government to make sure they get a fair pay, a decent pay for the job and the dangers they face. That in itself will attract the right people, and it's a evolutionary cycle. Um, you know, invest at the beginning, you get a better product at the end. That That's me got to be the priority. Tiff? Yeah, when you asked that question, I, I jotted down a, a few things. Um, for me, it's about investment, investment in the people, investment in the structure. Uh, Jamie's already alluded to that. But also, let's get the trust from police officers and those that work within the police uh, service back in with government. So the government want the public to trust the police. We need to start um, building a relationship with government and government need to show us that we can trust them, that we are actually the service of importance. They keep saying that we are the service um, uh, of the future and what brilliant work our police officers do up and down the country. Start showing it. Start showing it. That feels like an appropriate place to finish this episode. I'd like to thank our guests, Steve Hartshorn and Tiff Lynch, who are the chair and deputy chair, respectively, of the Police Federation of England and Wales National Board. They are both busy people and we're grateful they made time in their schedule to discuss an important topic. I'd also share my appreciation to Jamie Thompson, your branch chairman, for contributing to the conversation too. And I'll finish up the request, if you don't mind, to guarantee you don't miss an episode of the Cheshire Police Federation podcast, be sure to subscribe. It's free and easy to do. Simply select the relevant option presented by your favourite podcast provider. That way, you don't need to remember to search for us or make a note to check whether the next edition has been published. You can contact the Cheshire Police Federation through its website, which you'll find at cheshirepolfed.org.uk. That's cheshirepolfed, or one word, .org.uk. There you'll find news about its latest work, details of member services, and information about the group insurance policy. Should you want to, you can also listen to previous episodes of this podcast there too. Until next time, it's goodbye.